0: What I really find interesting in data engineering is that it is such a critical area uh, that personally for quite a while, I was kind of ignoring it in my career. And maybe I was doing some running around it, but I wasn't really in it. So for example, I don't know, five, six years ago or something, I used to hear the word Hadoop, Hadoop, Hadoop all around. I, I knew nothing, and I was not even bothered to look into what what that potentially is, for example, and things like that. But then, when I when I went, when I started getting into this area, I wanted to first understand things of not necessarily directly, for example, how it is within the cloud era, which is the current era we are living where a lot of data engineering is happening with cloud infra and all of that. I want to go a bit before that. And I noticed there are lots of very interesting solutions that have been built around us. For example, Hadoop, for example, came out of a need.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, wherever you are. Thank you very much for joining us on yet another episode. Today, we're going to talk about data engineering. And I could not think of a better guest for this topic than my friend and my former colleague, Ayman Farhat. Uh, Ayman is currently a senior data engineer at Google. He has spent five years working over there. Prior to that, he was a senior engineer working on web performance and developer tooling. He was also a solutions engineer. So he literally covered the whole spectrum uh, in terms of uh, you know, what software engineers can do from uh, consulting, sales, and, and software engineering per se. But today we're gonna focus a lot on data engineering. Ayman, thank you very much for, for joining me and, thank, and for making the time for this. Uh, is there anything you would like to add to your your introduction or to your background um th-
0: thank you for having me uh, no I think that's uh, actually a, a great intro so so thanks a lot for that i I hope I'll be able uh, to be up to the uh, up to the challenge of uh, of basically the chat uh, and yeah looking you, forward to, to, you to, to will, the, you the will. discussion
1: Thank you. Knowing you, I'm pretty sure we're gonna have a very fun conversation. All right, so let's start with the basics and for people who don't know what data engineering is, because as, as we both know in the field, we always come up with new namings, new conventions, new acronyms and new whatever. Can you just give us a basic definition of what data engineering is, what it, what it covers?
0: Yeah, so, okay, yeah, if let's, um, yeah, the, the, way, the way I'd like to some, some, somehow see it is let's start with the problem. We're, we're, we're trying to solve with this whole industry that, you know, it's it's uh, obviously became, became a whole industry on its own. Um, so imagine you're a developer, right? You go, you write basically, um, I don't know, some game. Uh, you distribute it across uh, app stores and whatnot. It's a multiplayer game happening uh, at the same time, people playing against each other. It gets super popular. You have an API things are basically pinging your api the status of the player what they are doing the requests etc maybe it's a semi real-time game Uh, let's say let's make it simple Uh, maybe it's a turn-based game or something like that and you're getting you know thousands of requests uh, per second let's say you're logging those somewhere you're dealing with some of them etc now obviously your product has grown you are able to meet the demand in terms of scale, for example, for your app, for your API, you're able to make the game happen, right? But at the same time, you want to basically look, for example, at data in a retrospective way, as in you want to understand your users, you want to understand, let's say, the demography, Uh, let's say uh, users from what location or from what uh, team are playing what or buying what item, what is the most popular item happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, you have your database. Uh, let's say your database is maybe a transactional database, a relational database. Let's say it's basically dealing with transactions, with specific uh, relations, etc. But then maybe you start querying that database, right? You query that database, uh, but at the same time, this database is being used as well for basically processing your transactions and for being always available to actually support the application and the API. Mm-hmm. For example, maybe you as a founder, you start doing that yourself. You start also querying the database for analytics. You want to understand your users, right?
1: Why do and, I have a feeling that this is not a very good idea to create the production database for this type of information? I'm, yeah,
0: but let's, let's say we're a startup uh, yeah, yeah. and we're trying to be, I don't know, uh, very scrappy, agile, nimble agile, yeah. etc. then you start adding in a team of i don't know five people, they are your analyst team, data analyst team with a product manager. They want to start actually querying more things on the database. you have more 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 access. You have now five people querying your database for purely analytical purposes uh, then uh, for example, this team even grows more. security starts to be one of the things, one of the questions like do I want to give access to everyone? to this all-in-all database that is doing pretty much everything. Is my data in the best shape possible for analytical querying for me to make sense of it? Uh, Is it uh, ready for read-only kind of operations as I mentioned now? Because at many points in time, the production database, for example, that is basically dealing with uh, transactions and stuff might not be suited for that because it is fully normalized. You have lots of relations. While the nature of the questions you'd be asking when doing analytical work, for example, might not really need that. Actually, as a matter of fact, for performance reasons, you might even need a denormalized database. So here you start thinking, okay, maybe I'll actually move, uh, make a copy of this data, and I'll move it to some other database that is basically maybe the same technology, same thing, I'll just replicate it, full replica. Maybe that's one approach. Second approach, you start, okay, maybe actually I need to squeeze some more performance. I want this replica to be optimized in a different way. I want to merge in tables, uh, put data that is similar to each other or that is related to each other in the same table so that I can query things faster. I want to apply specific indexes, etc., etc. So that's how we basically start separating analytical workloads from transactional application workloads. So that's one example of, for example, starting to, separate this data, move it somewhere else, and provide the correct ecosystem or hub for providing this data to other people to consume. Personally, this is a very simple example of data engineering. Why? Because moving this data from, for example, the production database and keeping the analytical database all the time up to date, in sync, uh, having all this data actually replicated in the proper way, but also, for example, following uh, this new structure that I need, uh, that is, it has basically it is needed by, for example, my analysts or analytical uh, people uh, or other different roles. Maybe now, for example, I have machine learning uh, engineers or data scientists who want maybe to make predictive uh, predictive models based on that data. For that, now probably I have to evolve my other database, maybe to even apply different other transformations on this data through, for example, a data pipeline that will apply step-by-step transformations, cleaning, uh, filling in missing data, normalizing data, etc., to prepare it for machine learning models. So then now I'm starting to build or to create a new building block on top of that data as well to serve, for example, machine learning uh, engineers or uh, data scientists. And This is another, for example, use case of data engineering uh, because we need to build this kind of back-end process that will prepare this data step by step, apply it based on requirements and write it somewhere else as well in order to make it available for those teams. So if you think about it from a general perspective or or, uh, let's say a, a higher level perspective in this case, you are looking at creating something which is very popular to be called usually a data hub, where basically you have this kind of hub, where this could be a project, could be a series of projects, uh, that are basically whose job is basically to take in data coming into your organization, maybe in the form of a relational database or a transaction database that is already dealing with, you know, uh, applications that are running. It might be logs, those logs might be extremely unstructured some of them might be structured making sense of them processing them analyzing them filtering them cleaning them doing all of that kind of processing with them based on the business requirements and then eventually putting them into something we call the curated zone where you basically have data that is ready to consume by other consumers consumers could be other services could be analysts, could be data scientists, could be all of those people within the organization where this data is basically ready for them. It could even be partners, for example, uh, who uh, maybe, yeah, third party exactly, who might want to, to get access to that data. And this is where access control, for example, is also a very important topic here because, for example, where where do you want to create curate the data do you want to expose it as an api do you want to expose it in a bucket do you want to expose it uh, um, in a view in the data warehouse for example which we can later on talk about the data warehouse i guess um so all of all of those questions are part of data engineering so uh, i think as well a lot of how can i say um a lot of the talk like when, when the first thing comes up i think when people say data engineering or at least for me I, I i kind of see in front of me a pipeline of multiple steps that's the first thing that comes to mind visually but i think it's not just about yeah data pipelines and uh, kind of multi because because also uh, maybe later we can go a bit more into the details of a data pipeline but uh it's 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 more than that there's a lot of things at play you have to be involved with the database decisions uh you have to be involved in the data warehouse decisions how will you structure your data warehouse how will you structure uh how will you deal with unstructured data how will you deal with structured data what kind of formats you want to deal with uh how will you basically process this data will you process it in batch for example uh, like a regular for example once a day three times a day whatnot, uh, or will you do streaming which is another also part where for example in streaming it has its own challenges as well uh, or do you want to do both for example um, f- for specific purposes we can also talk about that uh, at the same time for the same use case so, so there's, there's a lot of yeah i think questions at play yeah
1: Fantastic. So there's a lot to unpack here and thank you very much yeah. for this uh, great uh, starting point because this this paves the way for a lot of the questions that I'm, I'm I want to be asking about today. So data engineering is 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 pretty much the manipulation of data or the management of data a- across multiple states, across multiple times for different purposes, for different requirements, for different reasons and for different stakeholders whether internal or external if we are to summarize it a little bit. Um I want to ask you about infrastructure. So you manage a lot. Of, uh, you talked about uh, databases, for example, and, mm-hmm. you know, maintaining these databases, doing replication, so on and so forth. Does the data, is the data engineer involved with, for example, setting up these databases and making sure and, and configuring the application exercises? Mm-hmm. Do you set up your own warehouses, for example? Do you manage this infrastructure yourself? Or are you more responsible for, you know, the after, uh, after, after the fact, after these are set up, You this is where your role comes in.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great question. And I think uh, as, as it is with <laughs> all answers out there, it, it depends. Uh, but uh, I think in this case, it depends on the team. Uh, I, I, I personally, I work uh, in, in data engineering within, uh, within a uh, professional services context, as in I work with uh, the, the, or the overall professional services team in my organization where basically uh, I work on uh, building tools, building solutions, coming up with uh, system designs uh, specifically for data migrations uh, related to specific projects, uh, basically of organizations moving into uh, GCP. So we, we, we do deal with a lot of uh, technical teams, external technical teams, partner technical teams, uh, our technical team, uh, the migration process, uh, the system design, and the tools uh, built or reused uh, related to those uh, migrations. And what I can tell you is this is why it depends. Because, for example, there are teams which I think this is a very interesting approach uh, that that can be, that sometimes would actually have someone, for example, who's an infra expert, for example, whose job would be basically to help them set up the infra and maintain it. Uh, and I think this is very important because within 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 data engineering or within a data engineering project, or let's say you're building up a data hub, let's say uh, so a, a data hub, you can think about it uh, in the context of a cloud project in general you can, it could be a set of projects right uh, a set of projects working together, networked together in a way. Uh, each project may be specialized in a specific area such as a project for computing, such as a project for uh, storage, uh, a project uh, for for example uh, the data warehouse and things like that. There are certain different uh, how can I say architectures or recommendations uh, related to different use cases here. So setting up the infra for all of that I think is probably complicated or not necessarily the specialization of a data engineer, thinking from the perspective of a data application engineer. So when you say you're doing data application, you're basically, for example, writing a pipeline. Let's say using a framework such as uh, Apache Airflow, for example. Then that framework, for example, uh, triggering other jobs, triggering other services uh, that are actually needed uh for example it could be a uh a spark spark processing job or maybe multiple spark processing jobs and then at the end for example notifying uh, uh, a kafka topic basically to notify some other microservice uh, to tell it that yeah we're done send an email to uh, you know uh, the ceo telling them this job is done for example um so to, to set all of that up for example, sometimes, let's say, you might need to defer jobs to a Kubernetes cluster, for example, to defer jobs into a pod. Uh, because basically, the requirements of the pipeline tell you that you want to run this and within a container, script into a container, run it, let it finish in that container with its dependencies, give me back the result, and then go to the next step in this pipeline in Airflow, for example, and then do something else. For example, the setup of a Kubernetes cluster, uh, managing it, uh, maintaining it, all of that, I think, is more within the uh, realm of an infrastructure um, a person or someone who is basically more versed in that, especially when it comes to also building a maintainable uh, infra uh, basically, uh, that is uh, maybe uh, done yeah, up to via the standard,
1: secure, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a lot yeah. of specialization that comes and into play S-Code here, and infra code
0: with uh, Terraform and whatnot. Right. So all of that has its own specialization. Yeah. Uh, this does not mean that the data engineer shouldn't know about that stuff. I think it's it's good to know about these things. Uh, for, for example, for me, I've been doing uh, a lot of kind of exploration around Terraform. Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically because, for example, one need is that sometimes I need to test specific setups, for example, when uh, coming up with uh, or planning a uh, system design. So let's say I have a big system design document I'm writing for a specific migration. Obviously, I'm not going to write it without testing some things. Sometimes I might want to replicate, for example, the same test, or maybe I want to give it to a colleague to replicate the same test with the same environment, with the same setup, with the same six, seven services working together. Uh, configuring the network, for example, is not something trivial to do uh, in the UI, for example. Or to make sure, for example, your, your colleague is replicating exactly the same thing. Because in an enterprise environment, you have sometimes maybe a lot of restrictions, for, such as firewall restrictions, uh, VPC, and whatnot. All of that comes into play. I think this is where some knowledge of infrastructure as code and trying to replicate infra environments for data engineers could be very interesting and very useful. Maybe not for production but it's good to know and it will help them in production. Of course. Now, maybe I went a bit off, off topic a bit here. No,
1: it's great because uh, this is, but, you're yeah. also validating the idea that um, software engineers who are also generalists, uh, they are a little bit more, um, let's say, capable of, of moving forward, pushing forward a little bit uh, further than when you really do a deep dive and specialization to a small specific area. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's that's great to hear. It's a little bit of a nice validation to the, to the concept. Um, what excites you you as a data engineer? This is more of a high level topic just to, you know, uh, go, zoom out a little bit from the technicalities, which we're going to go back to in a little bit. But as Ayman, as a data engineer, what are the things that motivate you? Yeah.
0: What excites me? Uh, honestly, I think what I really find interesting in data engineering is that it is such a critical area, uh, that personally for quite a while I was kind of ignoring it in my career. And maybe I was doing some running around it, but I wasn't really in it. So, for example, I don't know, five, six years ago or something, I used to hear the word Hadoop, Hadoop, Hadoop all around. I I, I knew nothing and I was not even bothered to look into what what that potentially is, for example, and things like that. But then when when I went, when I started getting into this area, I wanted to first understand things of not necessarily directly for example how it is within the cloud era which is the current era we are living where a lot of data engineering is happening with cloud infra and all of that i want to go a bit before that and i noticed there are lots of very interesting solutions that have been built around us for example hadoop for example came out of a need where data processing was basically pretty expensive on a single machine, and it's it still technically is limited on a single machine. Imagine you have, I don't know, gigabytes of logs that you want to analyze, right? And you want to make sense of maybe apply aggregations, um, apply calculations on it, and get a result. So what Hadoop solved at, for example, that time was basically with, with common hardware, uh, basically hardware that you could buy off the shelf, or if you have a bunch of computers and hard disks, you can set up a cluster for example of 100 machines your data you write it into HDFS which is a distributed file system uh, your data gets basically chunked across the machines and at the same time replicated to account for any machine failure on disk etc so for example your 10 gigabyte file let's say you have 5 machines is kind of repl- replicated across those 5 machines into chunks and then you have those machines running all the time um and then you want to run a job on that file specifically so you would tell the framework hey i want to actually run this file uh run, run a run a process run run, a, run a processing on this file and what's going to do is basically it will basically map this job basically locate the chunks of that file and on each machine separately run that job independently in parallel where that chunk is actually living. So let's say the chunks. Let's say the the the, 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 the file is living on five machines, right? Uh, it will run five basically on five uh, basically five uh, five processes five jobs in parallel on the uh, on those machines, get the results individually, then reduce them and combine them into one basically result. So for me, this is what kind of excited me a lot uh, back then. Is that Okay, this means this industry is all about distributed computing and running things in a distributed way where you are dealing with terabytes of data um, and you're not really afraid of dealing with that amount of data because you have very interesting frameworks out there that have been built and built really well to basically kind of support all of these things. And for me, coming from the web industry, honestly, I was starting to get a bit bored by seeing frameworks being built and built again, <laughs> doing the same thing, same code over and
1: over right? again, yeah.
0: same same problems, different different way of yeah. solving them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of found a, a a breath of fresh air with with data because yeah as I mentioned it's a very critical thing. Uh, it's at the core of any business. Uh, any business is creating data, a lot of it, and wants to make meaning out of it, and you cannot do this. Without properly having processes and software written for that. So. Uh, that's, I think, what what uh, again, data engineering is, and uh, I think it's very uh, very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Now that you're talking, you're getting me excited about it, and and as you speak, I w- I was just thinking about, you know, this this HDFS how it works, and I was thinking that it would be a nice fun weekend exercise if we, for example, create a, a smaller version or like a you know a a, a draft version of HDFS and see uh, if we can actually get a miniature version of Hadoop uh, up and running. For listeners who are uh, who are listening to us, this. So this could be a nice exercise for you if you're into that type of stuff. Um, that's great, Ayman. Thank you very much for that. Um, let's go back to the professional data engineer and tell me a little bit more. Where does the work of the data engineer end? where does the work of the data analyst, for example, start or the data scientist start, right? Because yeah. you, these are the people you interface with the most, um, or maybe if not data analysts, business analysts, maybe, I don't know. Mm. Can you tell me more about that?
0: Uh, yes, I think yeah that's that's a, also a very very uh, very accurate question in terms of uh, role, roles and responsibilities, I guess in, in this case uh, the, the way the way I see it is that, for example, let's say a data analyst, I, I would see a data analyst as from the, from the consumer end of, uh, of of the data after it has been cleaned, processed, uh, prepared for their use. So I would say data analyst or data scientist uh, usually can, can be like from the perspective of a data engineer and the industry as a whole, can be considered as a, a client of the data engineer in a way or another. The, the, the end product they are expecting is a data set that they can work with uh, that is probably cleaned up to a point uh, that is ready, that is available in a database or a data warehouse. That is that that is basically efficient enough to actually actually allow querying, uh, where they have the right access uh, to query things uh, and to basically uh, analyze uh, analyze these things. Or for example, uh, a machine learning engineer who wants to basically take this data and build their own pipeline for specifically applying uh, machine learning, for example, uh, a machine learning process to generate a model and then test it and whatnot. So it could be. Because if you think about it, the result of one thing, like the result on one end, could be the input of something else, of someone else's work. Uh, This is personally how I see it. And you can, in this case, kind of have a data hub being managed and built by data engineers and basically other data hubs being built by more uh, specialized people, specifically around the analysis and uh, understanding of the data. Uh, from there, from that end, they can even maybe hook up, for example, uh, their dashboards that they're building into, uh, you know, the data that you've prepared in the curated zone that you made available, uh, and then maybe they can visualize it and whatnot. So this is where Fantastic. I think the the uh, so I think there's less analytical work on the data engineer side, uh, and a bit more on the. Uh, uh, an analyst uh, analyst side.
1: Do you yeah. have to do some basic analysis just to identify whether you're like, how do you make sure that your data is not maintains its integrity? Right. Um, mm. Like, how do you know that after your transformations, your changes, whatever you've done, that the, the output of your work is actually correct? Uh, yeah. h- how does that work?
0: Um, actually, there are different tools you could be uh, you could be utilizing for that uh, that that exist uh, in the industry. Uh, I would say some of them are open source, uh, some of them as well are proprietary or sometimes could be internal. Uh, so yeah, but I think at the at the at the lowest. So also depends on what kind of integrity you're looking at. For example, are you doing a one to one migration for example from database a to database b then you could very simply apply a query on uh, the left side and apply the same query on the right side and then compare for example the results those could be uh, maybe two aggregate queries for example on specific columns if you see that those two columns add up equally that could give you a sense uh, of the data or maybe you can take a small subset uh, like a randomized subset from 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 database A to database B, and you compare both subsets uh, randomly multiple times, so you can check. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Those samples are actually similar or or close. Uh, so I'd say the methodology would differ depending on uh, what you what you're expecting here. I would say as well, uh, if you're applying, for example, transformations. Um, in this case, I think it. Could be a bit more tricky uh, if it's uh, on the level of transformation. So I think, yeah. Now, when you when you're applying transformations, what's important is that your pipeline, your pipeline code, you, you need to treat it just like any uh, production code you would be running, like a back end code, front end code, whatever it. At the end of the day, it's an application. So in, in, integrity of code is super important. For example, if you have a data pipeline you do write unit tests for your uh, every single step and you do write integration tests as well for your pipeline overall and how it basically and end-to-end tests basically to make sure that it's actually running properly and outputting the right data because you always have also a development environment you would have a pre-production environment where you run a subset of data in and you analyze the subset out because it's probably easier to, to to analyze and you have less uh, data to work with so you can work a bit faster but this testing process is very important as well if 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 you're applying transformations and you have a have a pipeline in place uh, just like you would do with any uh, backend system uh,
1: yeah Got it. You're predicting my questions. I was going to ask about testing and, you, and and whether you apply or you create any unit tests or integration tests. But you've already answered that. Thank you for this. Obviously, from what you're telling me right now, there's a lot of work involved across the spectrum of engineering. So how are uh, teams of data engineers structured and organized? You know, like in, in regular feature engineering, you might have a feature team. Five, six people, cross-functional, front end, back end, maybe mobile, maybe even a DevOps engineer or a platform engineer who might join it. Um, how are teams of data engineers structured within the engineering organization?
0: Here we're talking within the typical uh, engineering organization. I would say, like in in a general, uh, I think setting or in a general organization, I would say that there's no there's no one answer to this. Uh, as it is with with uh, with pretty much everything, and as it is with as it is with different application teams, honestly, I think every organization chooses this the way it wants. Personally, I I would see it as that you would need specialized skill sets from every uh, side. I think so. If let's say the the team or the team you have is specialized around uh, building uh, data pipelines from the perspective of ingesting data, preparing it, cleaning it, uh, maybe applying specific rules to it and making it available to other teams to consume, like analytics team or analysis team, you don't need probably an analyst or a data scientist within your team, but you do need data engineers. You do do need uh, probably a project manager, because at the end of the day you are writing basically a piece of software uh, that basically has uh, has deadlines it has uh, a schedule it has requirements uh, maybe some kind of product slash project manager kind of uh, role uh, and as well uh, people who have infra uh, infra knowledge who can maintain uh, the infra of uh, this uh, data platform that we're we're talking about now maybe maybe on other teams they like to separate infra completely away from the data engineering team, um, I think here, for example, uh, it might be a bit different. Uh, maybe this would be more from an organizational perspective, uh, a decision up to the company that uh, you know hiring uh, those people. So, but this is where I think communication becomes more of a uh, m- more more of a thing, more of an important consideration as well, because you're you're basically dealing with cross uh, cross-functional uh, teams in this case. Yeah.
1: All right, so Ayman, you mentioned that um, at certain occasions or on certain occasions, you would actually write code specifically, maybe when transformations are involved uh, or when ETL is involved. Um, Can you tell me more about how you would manage this code? You store it in Git repositories, for example, Uh, how do you manage change for these, uh, for these code bases?
0: It has to follow the same principles as any application you would build uh, within a, a software development team, uh, I would say. Uh, so obviously, uh, yeah, Git, Git makes sense. Um, Git would make sense. Uh, you would have to obviously apply uh, code reviews on the pipelines. And as well, you would potentially have some kind of CICD uh, deployment uh, Deployment pipeline as well. Now, for data, sometimes there are some, some, uh, some considerations related to CICD, for example, uh, to basically take into consideration related to the different frameworks you uh, would be uh, potentially, potentially using. Uh, for example, let's say, uh, let's say you're using, uh, for example, uh, Airflow, right? Uh, Air- Airflow can be hosted uh, kind of manually you can set it up on a, a regular a vm uh, server for example but at the same time different cloud providers provide for example uh, an abstraction on top of airflow may basically to make it a bit more uh, easily uh, to work with in um, a more scaled setting uh, i'd say for example uh, on gcp it could be a cloud composer so basically it's a managed airflow environment uh, provided for developers. Uh, Instead, for example, of interacting and and setting up, for example, the code and dependencies um, on the the, the file system of the server that is hosting the Airflow instance, it would be, for example, set up on specialized buckets and whatnot. So here, for example, the CI-CD uh, process has to adapt uh, to um, those different setups and those different uh, environments based on the cloud environment you are operating in, whether you are using this uh, abstraction kind of service or using uh, Airflow as a service, or you're setting up setting it up yourself, uh, or maybe in a manual uh, setup, all of this, I think, needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, but I would say also, yeah, the, in terms of process, it could be very, very similar to that of the regular software engineering process in terms of having branches, feature branches, uh, merging uh, into uh, the, the main branch, uh, having uh, having code reviews and whatnot for pipeline. P- pipelines are pretty much just like any backend code you would write, I would say. Uh, so from, from that perspective, I would sorry?
1: Pipelines for pipelines. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Pipelines for pipelines. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Got it. Perfect. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that actually I think it's, it's thing, pretty yeah. Yeah, go
0: ahead. Actually, one thing that came to mind now, which might differ as well, is that some data teams like to work a lot with sql and here i think is some uh, in in this case i think there are some challenges so a a lot a lot of data teams come from uh, the background of writing a lot of sql Um, i know like uh, i've I've seen a lot of kind of organizations uh, or companies that uh, kind of maybe have people with very strong analyst background moving into a data engineer kind of role and there is a lot of interest in writing sql uh, in terms of within the pipeline itself because sql uh, at at many points in time is not just uh, how can i say used for uh, purely generating reports or pure analytical work but sometimes it can be used for uh, transformations so a lot of tools out there, a lot of open source tools, a lot of libraries would kind of allow you to have an SQL like interface uh, for basically writing steps of your pipeline to apply transformations uh, rather than just uh, necessarily uh, how can I say uh, you know run 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 a report and get the report out and then you know put it somewhere else. Can, can uh, so, we clarify this yeah. a little
1: bit just for out of mm-hmm. curiosity? Um, so is it an SQL like language? So it's a DS, It's a separate DSL or mm-hmm. is it actually SQL that is being used for this? Yeah.
0: Transformation? Here, here it depends on the framework. So some frameworks only provide like an SQL like DSL, as you mentioned uh, within within the Hadoop ecosystem, there are a couple, but also some, for example, data warehouses uh, such as, uh, for example, BigQuery on GCP. Uh, You're basically writing BigQuery SQL, which is uh, based on uh, SQL. Like you're writing proper SQL, basically in this case, uh, running on uh, the BigQuery engine, right? Uh, Now, the the idea here is that these these kind of technologies or these frameworks are already giving you a lot in terms of the underlying engine to basically apply a lot of uh, to apply processing by writing SQL. So then you can be basically using SQL to to create transformations and then write the results, for example, into intermediary tables. And then something else within the same process of the pipeline maybe picks up this intermediary table and does something else with it. Uh, So from here, uh, I think the kind of differentiation I want to get back to is when writing pipelines, for example, if all your data, let's say, is living in the warehouse, and the data warehouse, and you want to run, for example, a multi-step transformation, which is a a pipeline uh, across that data specifically already living in the warehouse that you want to execute SQL against, and then you want to basically write into target tables within the same warehouse, you could technically be writing a pure SQL uh, pipeline. You could could do that, Uh, and this is, I think, uh, kind of very related to the ELT uh, kind of concept. So I think maybe as well we have to clarify a bit the ETL versus ELT uh, kind of concept within data engineering, which maybe I did not really uh, highlight much. So, so traditionally, ETL, which stands for Extract Transform Load, which is kind of the traditional data pipeline uh, concept, which basically tells you, okay, your pipeline is basically going to extract data. It's going to be uh, I don't know, responsible for extracting data from point A. Say your pipeline is written in Python. Uh, step one, let's call it task one right? Uh, in this pipeline, is going to go uh, use uh, the API of the block storage bucket, get this file, load it into, uh, let's say, a temporary storage somewhere basically then uh, trigger the next task, which will take it from this temporary storage, run transformations, clean up, uh, let's say validate some rows, remove some rows, etc., prepare it, then take that data, uh, create, let's say, a DML uh, job uh, on the target uh, database or the warehouse to write this data into a table. Uh, and then let's say you would be considering this data as ready to use by the analyst. So this is one approach. You say this data is now available. Let's say on this table. Okay, I'm gonna say let's say it's clean and available. Now the the other approach is called the ELT, where the data warehouse itself has evolved in terms of SQL engine underneath that can actually support processing where you can actually run longer and bigger and more complex queries. That could maybe even in one query you might have 200, 300 line query. Uh, executing and able to execute transformation jobs on the data, which means you would be in this model basically storing raw data uh, or maybe almost raw data after maybe basic cleansing or basic setup, uh, sorry, basic um, uh, maybe uh, uh, for formatting of the data and whatnot into uh, kind of uh, entry tables, uh, let's say, uh, in that web data warehouse. And then, all the rest of the processes, instead of using Python and whatnot, you would be using SQL to basically pick up this kind of a second level input or, 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 or second stage input data you have now on your data warehouse as a table using SQL, apply different steps in SQL, like one step, second, three, four, five, six, one after the other, store the intermediary results in intermediary tables that are written as temporary tables, then eventually have the final result in a table. So this is where you would have written kind of a full pipeline purely in SQL, orchestrated by a uh, specific framework, such as Airflow, which allows that uh, basically. Uh, yeah, so th- that's that's one thing. Now, where, where is the, 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 the kind of consideration here that I wanted to get get to uh, previously, it's basically SQL. is kind of not a traditional language to work with uh, in terms of like writing much logic or transformations. Because the, the question here is, and the challenge is how will you test your SQL? Because you cannot really write in the, the easiest way possible uh, as SQL scripts that are testable, and that you can easily test uh, with unit tests and whatnot. Uh, so from one end, it's convenient. From another end, it's harder. And the more complex the SQL becomes, also the more complex to review. So uh, c- code that is written, for example, in Python follows a lot of, can follow a lot of uh, best practices and things like that, that the industry has perfected over the years. But with SQL, I think you can have much less, uh, how can I say, opinionated guidelines potentially there, uh, harder to think about.
1: In terms of a code review, if
0: you have a 400-line SQL
1: script. You need to pretty uh, much load all the data into your internal brain memory so that you can reason about the query itself. uh,
0: Yeah, and then you maybe need to test it manually. So so testing here becomes harder and reviews become harder. And I think this is one differentiator I can think of as well from the regular uh, review uh, CI-CD process and stuff like that related to uh, general uh, software engineering applications, yeah.
1: Can't you test the SQL on a subset of the data that is smaller? OK, so that's generally what, what happens. All right, clear. Um, I want to understand also, what is the difference between a data lake and a data warehouse?
0: Yeah, so the data lake, think about it as kind of the main, you can think of it as an, a main entry point for all the data that you want to basically be working with. So a traditional, a very, very traditional way of thinking of a data lake. as as simple as a bucket or a series of buckets within a uh, 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 that have the specific kind of purpose of storing data that is either raw or semi-raw, that has just entered into our uh, data hub or our data environment that we want to apply transformations on and apply basically changes on and basically kind of uh, how can I say uh, enhance, aggregate, uh, apply all of these things, and then eventually write them into a data warehouse. And the differentiation here, like one of the important differentiations here is that in a data lake, you can have structured and unstructured data. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's very important to keep in mind. So you could have JSON files, you could have XML, you could have Avro files that are structured because Avro, you can define st- structure, in the file, it's in the file itself for the data that is within that file. Versus, for example, JSON or uh, X, uh, yeah, XML, you can with an XSD, for example, a separate file. But yeah, so here you could potentially be storing yeah unstructured data, uh, data that wh- is not really what is yeah, it? Is yeah. it
1: more of an object store, the data lake, or yeah. okay?
0: You can think of it as an object store. Yeah, uh, some some people might also want to, for example, deal with Part of the data warehouse as a data lake, so it would be still structured, but not the final form that it needs to be in. But they would prefer to store it, for example, in an initial set of a data's data, initial data set in the data warehouse as uh, maybe semi, semi-structured data as well, because it might be easier for them. Maybe if they want to apply ELT. as I mentioned, it would be probably easier this way. Because ELT would run within the context of the data warehouse itself, so it would read data that is within data sets that are within the data warehouse. Uh, so yeah, yeah. But uh, you can think of it this way. I think it's just a, it's it's a fancy name, but yeah. Uh,
1: All right, clear. Um, you mentioned before the concept of batch processing versus streaming. Mm-hmm. Can you clarify a little bit the distinction and give us maybe a couple of examples of the use cases for each?
0: Yeah so you're working with batch means you're working with um how can i say a uh, bounded bounded data sets bounded data you know you know when the data will start and when it will actually end because you know for example let's say you have your let's say at 10 a.m every day you're processing 1,000 files and or something around that from a specific bucket you're getting it from and this is the structure you're working with, and this is the pipeline you're executing. And then you run this pipeline, and the pipeline finishes, ends, and you know that there is an output at the end that you will be storing. Sorry. Now, uh, an output that you will be basically storing. Now, if we think about uh, f- uh, think about it from the perspective of streaming, that's I think simply so for supporting other use cases uh, because for example, you're a business. Uh, let's say uh, you have 100 branches of sales. you could choose to have uh, a centralized uh, store place, a storage let's say let's say you're using object storage to just log everything happening in the store. Uh, we start from this basic example. At the end of each day, let's say the POS machine uploads a, um, I don't know, CSV file of everything that this POS machine has sold into this object storage. At the end of the day, by 12 AM, we know all the stores have closed. We run a a batch data pipeline that takes a finite number of files, loads them, analyzes them, applies aggregation, removes uh, stuff that needs to be removed, gets filtered, whatnot, et cetera, and writes them into maybe a proper database for proper analysis with SQL later on. The data will be available the next day, for example, by uh, let's say 9 a.m. for the business to basically uh, be looking at. So where's the problem here? The problem here is that you have basically maybe accurate data, probably accurate data, but that takes time to actually look at. Because you'll always have to wait for the next day. It's delayed, exactly. It's not real-time. While when you're talking streaming, you're basically opening up a whole set of new uh, possibilities in terms of uh, analytics. You can have now near real-time probably analytics, uh, or maybe you are able to generate reports at any point you want. Because if let's say you have a streaming system where, for example, your POS machine now is, for example, launching uh, for every sale, it basically uh, triggers, a, uh, for example, an API. And if you have an API endpoint uh, running maybe somewhere uh, on, on your cloud uh, setup, for every request coming in, it's publishing a Kafka topic, for example, uh, with a basically a publish-subscribe kind of uh, topic that uh, has all the sale detail maybe within a JSON format, let's say. This topic will have subscribers. The subscribers would be probably could be a a process or a pipeline that is a uh, streaming pipeline. That is a pipeline always available, listening to uh, events that are basically triggered. It basically processes them event by event in this case. So you get an event, you process it, and then you you write it to the Docker database, and so on and so forth. And what this basically uh, at a high level allows you to do is that if any analyst goes right now to this target analytical database that they have and they run a query they will get kind of the latest data in terms of sales that is actually ready to be uh, transformed or worked with or analyzed or maybe they can build a dashboard that can refresh maybe every minute and basically show them uh, up to date data so this is kind of the advantage of uh, streaming now with with streaming comes i think a lot of challenges. Uh, traditionally, uh, there, there were always frameworks based traditionally we're, we're saying, uh, there were always frameworks that were specialized for batch and frameworks specialized for streaming. Basically, you need most of the time, or at least even if the framework supports both, most of the time you need to write code specific for batch processing and code specific for uh, stream processing. So those need to be different code bases uh, managed, maybe by different teams. Depends on maybe the same team, uh, basically. And uh, those would basically do more or less the same, maybe transformations, at least from a um, definition uh, point of view, or maybe from a um, uh, from a requirements uh, point of view. If let's say it's it's dealing with the same the same thing. Now now the question here is, uh, what if you wanted to uh or or let's let's actually take a bit of a step back uh, on that and uh let's say you were trying to aggregate uh things in your let's say your your traditional batch pipeline in terms of logic uh, aggregates for example by specific time frames that is for example i want to aggregate all the sales happening every hour right so then you would basically get for all the sales happening every hour, for example, an aggregation of one row in the target database, for example, this is pretty easy uh, to happen with a um, with a batch system because you have all the data you need already available to basically apply processing on. The um, the difference with with streaming here is that you are dealing with unpredictable timing potentially more or less you have let's say pos systems across the world or let's say within a continent let's not over it. within a continent maybe you have i don't know 600 shops right within a continent those pos systems have different i don't know uh how can i say different people interacting with them some of them might go offline some of them might, uh, if they, let's say they, they go offline, maybe the, the internet will go offline, but they will still be online, so they are able to write locally on disk and sync later on. But maybe they are not able to immediately send, for example, um, uh, the topic, right? They are not able to immediately send this API request. Or maybe they will send this API request, but it will arrive late. And then within a streaming system, because you are de- dealing with unbounded data, You're dealing with data that will kind of never end or like there's no end. You don't know when the end is. So you're dealing with windows. So let's say you are aggregating by one hour windows. If, for example, a topic arrives late to that one hour, it will actually miss being added into that one hour window. And even depending on how you have built your pipeline, your your streaming pipeline, it might be completely discarded. And this is highly dependent on the messaging system and the pipeline as well. So here. You can apply different strategies. You can have strategies for late arriving data. Uh, You can also you need to also decide on the consistency. Do you need to define your windows as a uh, function, or basically by uh, the processing time, or by the actual time the event happened in the store, for example? So here basically the window definition is very important, and it has to be consistent. That's at least the most important thing, because you cannot mix up uh, both uh say for simplicity's sake you went with processing time you're still you'd still have potentially uh, late arriving data
1: so, so basically kind of streaming data of, yeah. is yeah because of its inconsistency like streaming mm-hmm. data could be like nice to have a real-time snapshot of what's going on in general but maybe we'll mm-hmm. wait for the batch report to really have the consolidated final exactly. you know status of mm-hmm. of where we are let's say exactly. on the business level
0: And and this is what was known for for quite a while as the lambda architecture, as in you would basically have two uh, pipelines, uh, basically one streaming, one batch. Uh, Basically, in streaming, you are accepting pretty much everything that comes in eventually. But for example, some events might miss the window, right? Or maybe uh, some, if let's say you're going with a session-based window, also as well, some things might miss the session and whatnot. You're still going to log those somewhere. So your, your, your arriving data will still be logged, but you will deal with whatever reaches, and you will write basically up to the knowledge of the system of what actually arrives in terms of data, in terms of streaming too. Hey, uh, for example, uh, maybe a NoSQL document database uh, that is basically fast to query uh, potentially based on its structure related to the aggregations or high-level aggregations you want to show to the business as immediate data for a real-time dashboard or whatnot, but then you're logging everything. And then at the end of each day, you are running a batch system, which eventually writes to this final analytical data set that would basically be considered as the source of truth for the business. Uh, so this kind of yeah uh, differentiation is very important to keep in mind. Um, new frameworks came up uh, to uh, to kind of try to solve this issue in terms of maintainability at least of code uh, such as for example apache beam so uh, apache beam in this case was as um, a is a pretty cool framework uh, allowing you to basically write your transforms write your different steps of the pipeline uh, for both batch and streaming in a unified language and a unified model so basically what changes in this case mostly is the I.O. uh, part but what you can do is you can reuse the different tasks you would apply for this basically analysis because pretty much you might want to be kind of applying the transformations on on data coming in in streaming the same way you would want to actually apply it in batch as well Uh, so you could actually do that with Beam with a bit more uh, maybe better maintainability in a way or another by using most of the pipeline uh, and yeah, and basically switching, uh, switching, basically the IO, uh, part potentially. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's,
1: uh. All right. I'm on fantastic insights. I love this deep dive, uh, so far, and you're obviously quite passionate about this, uh, about this field of yours and you know, quite a lot about it. Um, the last question I want to ask for today, maybe the question before the what the one before the last is when do companies need to start thinking about building data engineering teams or, you know about data engineering in general
0: yeah Uh, actually that's a very interesting question as well since i think um kind of the way personally i see the, the 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 industry trying to cater for 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 the demand in general is that i think data data crunching product products are becoming simpler and simpler to use uh, and and more democratized for uh, for teams that are not necessarily specialized in data engineering. For example, I think for uh, like there are different uh, frameworks, like for example Dataform, right? Uh, that that can be very interesting from the perspective of a um, of a of a system of, of of a data analyst. Why? Because let's say you're a data analyst in an organization and you love to work with SQL and maybe a bit of Python and you you don't really want to get too deep into all of that. But let's say you start writing queries um, and eventually your query goes bigger and bigger. You realize, okay, maybe this needs to be cut down into basically multiple steps uh, and I need actually to start doing like I'm trying to do, let's say transformations in an ELT uh, kind of uh, fashion. So I have a very capable data warehouse at my disposal available as a service. Uh, I can load data easily. I can run ELT as multi-step process, for example, uh, using a framework like Datafor, which allows me to have an orchestrator of different SQL scripts, Chained together as if like they're a data pipeline, but purely SQL. So basically, uh, SQL piece A, SQL piece B, SQL piece C. Let's say all do different transformation steps, write into intermediary in, intermediary tables, and then depend on each other. There, that's that's a data pipeline in a way or another. But within within a cloud environment, if if your data warehouse is pretty capable of supporting this kind of work then I think there is a lot of self-sufficiency that a business can have uh, with uh, a lot of products that are available uh, in the market today that don't necessarily need a full uh, data engineering team. That's basically how I see it. So uh, so I'd say it's very tricky to say by what time or when would a business need uh, a full-fledged data engineering team. That That's actually going to really depend on, on the use cases uh, that are needed here, for example. Uh, like, are you, for example, as a business, transforming away from just analytical work and some transformations that could be easily supported with one data warehouse setup uh, containing everything you need? Uh, do you want maybe to, I don't know, start interfacing in your pipelines with other APIs, for example, uh, orchestrating those together and then writing in the data? To the final destination in the warehouse. So I think once, so you can think of it as maybe maybe once the data analyst within a business starts needing more support, more uh, back end support, more 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 software to be written to cater for the needs of the uh, analysis that they are carrying out. I think this is where. Uh, needing data engineers probably comes in. Or maybe if let's say you're building uh, probably products uh, that truly need uh, basically uh, data engineering work. uh, I don't know, for example, let's say you are already anticipating that. As in, uh, let's say you're a company, uh, I don't know that uh, where where data, for example, is critical for decision-making within the application itself, for example. I think here you already you would need uh, that you you would already need data engineering say let's say you are uh, building I don't know a um, web web analytics let's say you have a web analytics product with web analytics you have real-time uh, data that needs to be basically worked with uh, obviously this is uh, this is back-end engineering as well you can it, it can kind of like things can overstep on on, on each other a bit here but I think maybe the back-end engineer can probably build some skills in data engineering frameworks at the end of the day if you think about it you're writing software you're just writing software with specialized frameworks for crunching a lot of data that's basically by the way the, the distinction here so uh, in that case a uh, quote unquote data engineering is needed whether by a specialized person or person or people within the same engineering team are picking up those frameworks to basically cater maybe for real-time data or cater for um, efficient processing of batch data uh, for supporting that application, let's say, since it is, a, let's say, an analytics uh, application, for example. Uh, so I, I'd say, yeah, that's...
1: Uh, and uh, that's a great segue to the last question I have. So let's say someone who's watching the episode today got inspired by your journey and your career, and they want to be a data engineer. How would they go about it?
0: Uh, okay yeah interesting uh, question as well um, I think the first probably think thing to do is find a problem to solve related to uh, the current role you're in uh, for, for example uh, say you do you do web right you do you, you do full stack full stack web try to find a problem let's say you have... I don't know um, gigabytes of web server logs uh, living somewhere, right? Uh, on on may being logged somewhere on a server, right? Does it? If, that, would it would it interest you, for example, to write uh, a system that can basically analyze this data, uh, crunch it down, and uh, basically make sense of it? Uh, uh, Without, by, and, and not going for a monolithic approach. For example, let's say you, you work with PHP. You're not going to go and parse those logs and uh, potentially, I don't know, generate insights with, PH, with a PHP script running on a single server, dealing with, let's say, I don't know, 15 gigabytes of data. This is where you need a specialized framework such as, for example, PySpark, let's say, or uh, Apache Beam or something like that to basically distribute, you basically ingest your input and distribute uh, this this data on multiple machines potentially within a specific setup or specific environment to basically crunch it separately in parallel and then reduce it into one output that you can basically deal with or write it somewhere. So I think I'd say the the general advice would be to pick up a framework that would be interesting enough for you with problems that are interesting enough for you. I'd say Spark is a very interesting framework to to, to work with. Um, it's, it's uh, I think, a very popular one as well. You, you can find a lot of things around it. It's open source, Apache Spark. You can start playing with it with uh, notebooks, with Jupyter notebooks, and maybe that will trigger uh, some interest. Also, if you get into, for example, uh, working with Pandas, which is a very popular library, I think you'd, you'd find a lot of the... Uh, the data structures available in pandas potentially available as well in Spark or supported on Spark in a more distributed manner as well. Uh, so that could be also an interesting segue if you have interest in uh, kind of crunching data to actually start building applications that crunch basically a lot of data. And there's lots of sites with also a lot of uh, uh, data to basically get to get inspired from. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm on. Uh, this conversation has been brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for your time and your insights, your knowledge, your experience, and everything you've shared with us today. Um, uh, again, uh, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, thank you for everyone who was uh, listening to this episode, and we will catch you next time.